Episode 64 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles. Yeah, but. Righty, welcome along to episode 64 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles, your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness and all the benefits that come alongside it. Well, I'm actually in Sweden right now. I've, I've literally got off the plane about two hours ago. I've come all the way from New Zealand. I'm over in Sweden to do this event called One Live for Les Mills, which is this massive group fitness event. It's kind of the highlight of or will be the highlight of my fitness career to be honest as, as a big events. last time I came here I talked to around 2,000 people I'll probably be teaching to maybe 3,000 people uh, later on this week so it's very much my rock star moment in my career uh, as much as it's my rock star moment I am here to do a job so but I literally I've just got off the plane and I always believe like seriously I've been on I've done some big flying over the last few hours so I did a, a hour and a half to Auckland and then I waited a couple of hours and then I did a 10 hours to Asia and then I did a 13 and a half to Germany and then I did a two hour to Sweden. So I've, and I've only really had six hours sleep and all of that but I kind of always think that when I travel the best thing to do when you arrive is to try to get to their timetable and it's only lunchtime here in Sweden right now so I thought well I'll try to get today's podcast done so then it'll keep me awake for a few hours and try to stay up to about eight o'clock tonight and I think it'll crash like a baby tonight so hence I'm in my hotel room in Sweden and I'm going to do this for a couple of hours and I'm going to have a bit of a walk around and maybe go out for some dinner and all my friends arrive tonight so it's going to be a pretty fun time. Uh, just before I get into today's show, into today's show I just, uh, there's a couple of little things. I, just going back on last the last episode of Brian Wainsink, it was a really good interview. Brian, obviously, he comes across as a really passionate man and he's, just, he's a bit of a character as well which is quite obvious in the way you know, he spoke about the thing he's really passionate about, and I went on and I did his course, and I, I thought the course was really good, it was, a, I think, some interesting insights for me, like, um, I've never done an online course like that before, and I found it hard to remain disciplined to doing it every day, and not so much that I lack the discipline, more just getting into the routine of doing something like that, and you know, nowadays there are a lot of these kind of online courses, and to be honest, the price point of Brian's course was so cheap, you know, it was $30 US, which, you know, nowadays you can pay hundreds of dollars for these courses, and I'm not sure if they were offering much more than what Brian offered in his course, but um, it was just a really interesting insight for me just to realize how challenging those kind of things can be, and purely not because I didn't have the desire or I didn't want the insight from it, but mainly just finding routine around how to commit to that kind of stuff, and I, kind of takes me back to this concept of committing time in your life to work on yourself is often a really hard thing to do and the way this course was done with Brian to be honest it only required five minutes out of your day five minutes to watch the content they created and then maybe 10-15 minutes just to kind of work on the content you know so maybe let's say 20 minutes a day now that's not a lot but I did find it you know just because I have a routine so I think maybe if you are someone who's looking to commit to one of those online courses the first question you've really got to explore is how do I commit the time to do this effectively? Because I often think that when we sign up for something new, we're signing up for it with this idea of the outcome we desire. That's what we're thinking about. It's the outcome we desire. And we think that if we commit this money to this thing here, well, that will make us 
do the work to achieve the outcome. But often what happens is people sign up and they, they don't even do the first step. And one of the downfalls, I think, with these online courses, although some of them do it really great, but is the lack of social. And one of the topics we have a lot that we speak about in fitness nowadays is the amplification of fitness, how apps are changing fitness in a really massive way. And, you know, things like the run keepers and the, uh, what's what's the count, calorie counting one? It's quite popular. I, I think I've got it. I'm pulling my phone looking at it right now it is my fitness pal it's got a good calorie one you know there's lots of good little workout apps and i think these tools are really good tools but i still fundamentally believe that social is is the number one key to fitness and i know of my running business i could have created apps and sold online programs but actually i have much more effect if i can create social around these things so maybe if you are looking at doing one of those online courses is commit to doing it with another friend or a group of friends and work through it together at the same time. And it's almost like you have a book club experience where once a week you'll catch up and you'll talk about what you've done within the week of the course that you're doing. And I just think there's some real value in adding that extra layer to something like this because I just found it really interesting. Brian's work is really great. And uh, someone who, you know, myself, I consider myself pretty disciplined and pretty motivated. And I struggled to fit it in. And so, you know, just something to think about. On that front, there's lots to work on with what Brian did. It's really interesting. I've been kind of, since interviewing him, since reading, I actually read his latest book as well. Since interviewing him and reading his latest book, I've just kind of really kind of shifted my perspective around what are some of the little bad habits that I have within my environment. And, you know, thinking back on his interview, Joe and I have some, some really good ones. One, first of all, is we don't, like you're saying about the treats, we only really have our treats in one area in our house. And I was just thinking, every time I open the fridge, in the last week or so, that I'm not confronted with bad food. And every time I open the pantry, I'm not confronted with bad food. And I have my chocolate, I like it frozen, so I put it in the in the, like the freezer fridge. And, you know, so every, all, every other era I look in my kitchen, I'm not confronted with this temptation all the time. And that's one of the things that Winsink talked about. So, but for, for myself and Joe, that's actually not that hard because subconsciously we've already created that world. But one thing I noticed that I do is... I always clean up. So one of the policies we have in our house is I always make lunch at home because uh, Joe and I work from home and then Joe always makes dinner and to be honest, we've lived together for nearly five years and really, I've probably cooked dinner at less than 20 times and that's probably because Joe's out those nights. So uh, I'm very lucky my lovely partner Joe is, is a phenomenal cook and she enjoys cooking so it definitely helps. Maybe at times I could probably pull my socks up a little bit more but you know, it's kind of to be, it's the kind of roles we've put ourselves in but the one thing I do have to do is I always clean up afterwards so you know, we'll, we'll eat dinner and then my job is to clean up afterwards and Joe We'll dish up dinner and she'll just leave food sitting in the bowls or the dishing plates that she's used and that. And then, you know, as I'm cleaning up, what I tend to notice, especially and particularly after listening to Brian's interview, is that I'll consume a lot more food as I'm eating, as I'm cleaning up. So as I'm doing the dishes and as I'm either throwing food away or as I'm packing it because there's a little bit of excess food there, putting it in the fridge, I'm, I'm having quite a bit of food as I'm just sitting there and eating it as I'm doing this cleaning. And it made me realize as I thought about Brian's kind of interview is that one thing I want Joe to start to work on is just as she's dishing up is to also remove the food that is left over and that would be that she either just throws it out or while she's dishing it up she might have a dishing up plate that would, you know, like a container that she's going to put straight into the fridge. So then when I come into my role of cleaning up, that food isn't around me and that, that environment doesn't offer that food 
you know, that I would eat while I was actually, you know, cleaning up. It's just a really interesting thing to think about. And that's what I really love about Brian's way of thinking about the world is when you look at your environments, how are they influencing you to make poor, healthy decisions? And then how can you do things like getting your partner to dish, dish up all the food so there's nothing left after the fact? And so you can influence those environments so you can make much healthier decisions. Now, if you could see that you're going to do that, you know, I know that by removing the excess food I eat at night, well, I'm going to be a little bit healthier. So it's just all these little things. So, you know, it's just a couple of little quick insights here. Today's show, I'm going to do a, a little bit of a kind of two points to today's show. But before I get into that, I'm going to talk about the patrons. If you do want to become a patron of the show, just go to bevanjamesisles.com and you can see a little link on there to the Patreon page. And what happens is every time I release a show, you'll give a donation depending on how big or small you want that donation to be. And just some of the regular patrons of the show, I like to always name a few every show and there's a few. Pip, the silent assassin Langford. Pip always does my RPM classes and she always just puts her head down, bum up and kills herself. Luke, agent 1001 Miller. Uh, he likes James Bonds, that's why he's 001. Kate Southern, and she's the perfect one. Robbie Allen, he's the big shot. Uh, Glenn and Gemma Mitchell. Now, these are friends of Joe's and I, and they're actually just about to have a baby, like literally any minute now. Maybe by the time they hear this, they would have had their baby, so it's an exciting time for them. And their name is Team Divine. And then Libby Hilda, and Libby is all in Hilda because she's actually she's about to do the New York Marathon as well. Now, we have got a couple of new patrons this month, and uh, two people I actually know, and... Uh, first is a guy called Matt Ackhurst. Matt Ackhurst is a guy who started my running group years ago. Actually, he's been running for us for a long time. And he's one of these people who started off small and now he's, he's Forrest Gump, basically. He does crazy endurance events, things like... Uh, you know, 100k races, 160k races, there's a run in New Zealand, it's a very traditional run, which is called the Kepler Challenge, and he's done that quite a few times, and uh, he's just turned into a bit of a Forrest Gump character, but the other thing about Matt is he's an artist as well, and he does these cool little sculptures, and the best way to, to describe them are, oh, it's hard to say, kind of little blobs of cute energy, <laughs> if that makes sense, in any way, shape, or form, so I've called him Forrest Warhol, and Warhol, so Hopefully that makes sense to you, Matt, because obviously Forrest represents Forrest Gump, the runner, and Andy Warhol represents the uh, the artist. So Matt, Forrest Warhol, Acurst. So there we go. And then the last person who's actually become a contributor to the show or a patron of the show is, is a person who's actually been an inspiration for me. In some ways, I could almost do a show on this girl. She's, she's a girl who I, I really only know from the gym, but she's this girl who's got a lovely, lovely energy. Um, seriously, if you ever meet Holly, she's just got a... a smile glued on her face all the time and uh and she a while ago she just came up to me after class and she gave me this magazine and, and it was this beautiful magazine like a beautifully designed beautiful articles you know really beautiful magazine and the magazine was so called say yes to adventure and basically it was holly's pet project she loves adventure and she loves creating content and doing all these types of things and so one day she woke up and she said no nah, I'm gonna I'm gonna create a magazine and so over the next period of time she put her own time energy resource everything into creating this magazine and uh, man she's just uh, she's done a fantastic job like it's an amazing magazine and recently she's just released episode um, audition number two and uh, man it's just it's, it's really great work actually what I'll do is I'll put a link to 
say yes to Adventure Magazine on my show notes this week, www.bevanjamesisles.com, and you guys can go get it there. It's Seriously, it's it's a great magazine, but it's also one of those magazines where you could put on your coffee table because it doesn't seem to age the way she's done it. It's one of those ones that can just, you know, they sit around and they go, you know, there's a long life to them. And it's just, it's a, it's beautiful. And, and what I love about it is, like a while ago, I wrote a press piece around passion and the concept of passion being uh, how hard do you really to go, how hard do you really work to create the passionate life that you desire? And Holly is someone who, in my mind, is the perfect example of someone who is working to create the passionate life she desires. She's she's making something that's really quite phenomenal. And it's it's just really impressive to watch what she does. Now Holly will, you know, she's probably already living the life now, but in a few years from now, her world's gonna look at her and go, Oh, you're so lucky because you've got this this life that you know that you fell into. But really it hasn't happened like that. Holly's decided, no, I want to do this and you know, she made it. She's created this thing and you know, it's early days and hopefully it goes into this big kind of massive thing for her because it's A, it's it's great the work she's creating, but B, just her her attitude of going, No, I'm gonna live a passion filled life and uh it's something I really, really admire and I know I'm inspired by the work she's doing. So I've called Holly. Your Holly, your nickname is the Go Getter. Holly the Go Getter Woodhouse. So there you go. If you want to become a patron of the show, you can go to bevanjamesisles.com, go through the process, and you'll be supporting me getting the show out there. So thank you for all the patrons of the show. You really do make a massive difference. Okay, so let's get into this week's show. Um, I've got some interesting thoughts. Uh, let's rock on and let's do it. I've often talked on the show around the seminars that I do with my Get Up to Five runners. And in some ways, my Get Up to Five seminars. So basically, if you've never listened to the show before, I, I have this running business called Get Up to Five. Or I have a running business called Extra Mile Runners, but one of the components is called Get Up to Five. And we take people who have gone from doing nothing to running 5Ks in eight weeks. And at the end of the, the eight weeks, we have the post-run seminar. And to be honest, as a fitness professional, these post-run seminars have been have delivered so much insight into my thinking around helping the non-exerciser learn to be good with the exercise because, you know, we, we get caught in our own little bubbles and we we think things work, but when you actually sit down with people who have been successful and, and they tell you what's worked for them, it's it's really fascinating just some of the insights I've learned and it's really, sh- these seminars have helped me mould my thinking and shift our products so we can be better at helping people achieve these goals. Well, I had one of these seminars, oh, it was about three or four weeks ago now, for the latest group of fivers who had just finished their goal, and we had a lady who had done five twice, so what we do is you have you can do, get up to five once, and then go into the 10k product, or some people will do it twice, and so we have what we call a return to get up to five program, and what that is, it's, it's a bit more demanding than the first time you do it, so it requires you run a bit more, it, it explores some intensity, it gets you actually running longer than 5k's, so the people doing a return to five will end up doing 8k's, and you know, sometimes they'll even go on to do 10k, and so we're at the seminar, and there was a lady in the seminar who had done the 5k product twice, and we were just talking about the experience that the runners had had and what had helped them to be successful and so they're talking about all the things that have helped them to be successful and then after I talked about that I said what were the things that made it hard for you now there's there's kind of a, a typical series you know I've done these seminars quite a few times now so you kind of know the answers that are going to come up 
weather's going to be one of the things, you know, busyness of life is going to be one of the things. Sometimes little niggly injuries will be some of the answers that we're going to get in this kind of situation. Like what what has made this experience hard for you? But the lady who had done the, the get up to five for two times, she put up her hand and she, she was really honest. She said, the whole time I'm running, I always feel like I'm the slowest and I'm always looking at everyone up in front of me and I feel bad because they're so much better than me. So I can say it again because it's really important. I feel bad while I'm running because people are so much better than me. Now, in fairness to her, she wasn't one of the faster people in the group. I don't think she was the slowest, to be honest. We don't really measure that. The way we're trying to design our program is to actually remove the, the kind of pressure of being the slower so one thing we do with the get up to five product is we do a, every run has an out and back run based on time and everybody turns around at the same time so let's say we're all going for a run today together and we all turn around at 10 minutes well the person who's faster is going to turn around further away but you know the person at the back is going to turn around then suddenly they're at the front so it kind of just takes the pressure off so you know I didn't actually know if this lady was the slowest and to be honest I hadn't coached her group a lot in the last period of time but, you know, for her, the experience was a lot of people are faster than me. And as I look up everyone up the road, as I'm running, I feel bad about myself. Now, this is a really fascinating thing for me because here was a lady. She had actually ran, the weekend before we had had the seminar, she had actually ran 10K. Now, she had joined our Get Up to Five product about, what, four months earlier. So in four months, this is a person who had never done exercise for a very, very long period in her life. I'm not quite exactly sure how old she is, but you know, she's probably in her 30s, or you know, somewhere in mid to late 30s, I imagine. Um, had probably never exercised in years and years and years. And when she first joined Get Up to Five, she was crap scared around running 30 seconds. I remember coaching her in some of those early sessions and, and her being really scared about doing 30 seconds and doing a minute. And but she stuck at it and she kept on winning and winning and to the point where she ran 5Ks and then she came back and she got to the point where she'd ran 10Ks non-stop. You know, in four months to go from doing nothing to running 10Ks non-stop for somebody who's never done exercise or hasn't done exercise in a long time is a massive achievement. And in this moment when this lady should be celebrating her success like massively, she was walking around with a year but approach. And what do I mean when I say a year but approach? Well, yeah, I ran 10Ks, but everyone was faster than me. Unfortunately for this lady, her year but approach never allowed her to truly 100% own the achievement and the successes that she had achieved in the last four months of her life. Now I'm sure as, as if I were to sit her down and have an interview right now, she knew she'd, you know, I'm sure she did gain some of the positives and felt really good about some of those positives. But at the same time, it came with this underlying but, this, yeah, but everyone else is faster than me. Now if you've listened to this show for a period of time, you you would have heard me speak about how I think comparison is a really dangerous thing uh, because often we compare ourselves to abilities that are better than us or times in our lives when we were sharper than what we are right now. 
And so there's this kind of underlying sense of failure because we're not good enough. And, and you know, if you go back and listen to some of my comparison shows, I talk about how you should really just measure myself from my start point right now. And then from that start point, I should look to progress from that moment forward and only ever going back to the measurement from that start point. But this is a little bit different because this lady here, she was she was progressing. Like the one thing that I was really impressed with was that as much as she was hard on herself because she wasn't as fast as everyone else, she stuck at it. She kept on going on and continuing on. But the thing that I, I was more fascinated in was what is she not allowing herself to gain because of this comparison? And what is the cost of that? What is the cost of that comparison? When we think about the cost, I'm, I'm curious to think about what her exercise experience was like when she was out there running. Like where she was, like I don't know, I haven't actually spoken to her about this, but I'm kind of curious... If you're running along and you're thinking everyone else is faster than you, what's your experience of like when you're actually exercising? So the cost to her, I imagine, like I imagine if I'm if I'm running there and always I'm thinking everyone else is faster than me, well my, my exercise experience isn't going to be that cool. It, it's going to be an experience which is probably a bit of a, you know, a bit of a downer really. So that's a cost for her, that one of the costs of me comparing myself is that I not able to enjoy exercise as much as what I can. Another cost is you don't allow yourself to own the qualities that you've deserved, that the characteristics that you've shown that you should be allowed to own. Like this lady showing determination, she's shown work ethic, she's shown the ability to achieve a goal, she's shown, you know, all this amazing character development. And at the same time, she's not allowing herself to see this because she just sees people at the road who are faster than her. So the cost of her comparing herself to people who are faster than her doesn't allow her to own the great qualities that she's actually shown over the last period of time. And when we think about exercise, that is the great benefit, is that I, I learn, oh, I can overcome challenges. I, I, I've, I have determination, I have persistence, I have the ability to have a plan and achieve it. And the thing I love most about exercise is that then we can transfer that into other areas of my life. So then when I look at, well, if I'm going to do study, what have I learned about exercise and how can I take this over? Well, if I'm looking up the road and going, everyone else is faster than me and feeling bad about myself, I don't, don't get the ability to take that into other areas of my life. So we can see that by using comparison in this example, that actually what's happening is there is a cost for this person to gain all the benefits of what she should be gaining. That ultimately this comparison is making her experience lesser than what it really should be. And the barrier that she has in front of herself is a barrier that makes it actually harder for her to progress forward. Now, again, I'm impressed with this lady because even though she's sad and despair, she's still achieved amazing goals. And, and I guarantee this woman's going to go and to go do a half marathon. She's a determined woman, I tell you. But uh, but at the same time, imagine if she didn't have that, that kind of comparison in front of her. Imagine if she could own the good that she was doing in every session, that she could sit inside the characteristic traits to see that she was good. You know, what would the experience be there? And if we think of the different paths moving forward, what path gives her a higher chance of loving exercise for the rest of her life? In our seminar that night, I, I kind of challenged her on this. I said, oh, you, 
you know, it's it's a real bummer that you don't allow yourself to see how great you've done. Because I know for me as a coach, man, I'm proud of you. Like, man, I'm so proud of you. And 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 I'm massively impressed with what you've done. And, you know, you look at all the characteristics. And, you know, I was just giving love and praise to her. because I And I was genuine because I was so impressed with her. And if she was to allow herself to own that moving forward, then the experience becomes a, a better experience that becomes more attractive, that makes it more sustainable in the long term. If, I, if I'm going to throw this at you, when it comes to your, your life and you when you actually achieve things, when don't you allow yourself to own your good? Like when don't you allow yourself to own your good? When you achieve something good, do you always come with this yeah but kind of attitude? Do you restrict yourself because it's, oh, yeah, but I could have done better, or yeah, but I could have done this? No, I understand that we all want to grow. I understand that we all want this desire to become better, and that self-assessment is an important part of that. That when I've done an Ironman, or when I've done a marathon, or when I've achieved some kind of goal, that to, to look back after the fact and go, do you know what? Here's where I can grow moving forward. Here's how I evolved this process. That's really important. But it shouldn't become off a year, but... And there is, you know, before I go on, there's probably also those days where, you you know, you you were a disappointment to yourself, where, you know, I know I've had marathons where fundamentally I knew I didn't do that great that day, and I was disappointed in myself, and, you know, that day there I did need to be disappointed in myself. But when you've done well, and you always have this year but, and you never allow yourself to own your good, what's the cost of your life? What's the cost of those activities that you really enjoy or that could add a lot of value to your life if you really enjoyed them? And does this cost make it harder for you to maintain those activities or to reach higher levels in those activities? If you were to remove your year but attitude, how do you think it would shift the way you experience the areas you have it in your life? How do you think that would allow you to evolve more How do you think it would allow you to own the good stuff? How do you think it would allow you to enjoy the experience more? How do you think it would help you to self-reflect in a much wiser way, not just in a mean way on yourself? It's really interesting stuff to explore. I suppose, you know, what do you take from this? Think about it. If you know, if I'm, if I'm, if you listen to me right now and you know I'm speaking right to your, your ears and it really kind of hits a note with you, Maybe you need to do some work on this. And that's how I challenged this lady. I was like, I, you know, it's, it's probably worth you doing some work on allowing yourself to see some good. To allow yourself to see what is good because you are doing so well. And if you're in this situation and you hear me speak today, maybe it's the same for you. So my first point in today's talk is when you do well in life, when you grow as a person, if you come to it for a year but attitude, there's a cost to that year, but attitude. And that cost often makes you move away from what you want to be as a person. That fundamentally, we're much better off to go, I'm allowed to own my good, and I can learn to evolve it, but I'm allowed to own my good, because then I can enjoy the experience, I can own the characteristic traits, I can, you know, there's so many positive stuff that will come with it, that ultimately allows me to just keep this thing in my life as a long-term thing. So that's kind of my first point. Second thing I want to talk about today, and today's one of those shows where I'm just kind of putting ideas out there, you know. I, I talk, it's really funny if you guys if you guys ever saw me record the show, because I tend to talk with my hands. 
Yeah, it's almost like I'm conducting an orchestra as I talk. So it's just I've got this TV in front of me, a big screen TV in my hotel room, and um, I don't normally see myself presenting or, or doing the show at least. And uh, today, you think I'm doing Be- hate Beethoven in front of you right now. But anyway, um, one, one thing I find really fascinating is this concept of when is the best time to plan change? And why is this? Well, I'll talk about one of my clients here. One of my clients is a client who would always want to create change in their life, but would also feel like they were always failing at creating change in their life. So they had this kind of revolving circle where they'd wake up one day and they'd be in a place where they were unhappy with themselves. And that often leads to the moment where we want to change. And so they're unhappy in themselves. But with this person, it was it was often quite an unhappy in themselves and, and a quite a emotionally driven way that was a negative self-perception so they got to this place where they knew they needed to change because they were just kind of so upset with themselves because they'd made so many poor decisions for such a long period of time and so in that moment they decided I need to change and from that moment forward they would create a plan you know I, I need to change so here's what I'm going to do I'm going to go and create a plan to change out of it and they had the planning fallacy problem where in that moment they would then try to plan their way out of change but because they were so desperate to change they created this plan that was just totally unrealistic like the plan was never going to be successful so what would happen is they'd start the plan day one they'd maybe succeed the plan day two there's a few cracks in the plan day three the plan's out the back door so then what happens? They feel like a failure. And the fascinating thing about with this client I'm speaking about is that they always felt like a failure. And they had evidence to prove that they were a failure because every time they planned for something, they failed. Now, there's that planning fallacy thing. That, that One of the main reasons they failed was because ultimately their planning was just so unrealistic. No one could succeed with that level there. But... When we took a step back with this person, what we really started to understand was when they started to plan their lives from a negative place within inside themselves, they were never going to be rational around the planning they were trying to do. So let's take a step back here. In their mind, they were in a place where they really didn't like themselves. And, and that would probably be self negative self-talk may even be represented in the negative feeling, you know, that you have, you know, often when we feel bad about ourselves, there is a physical feeling we get, often people talk about their gut feeling that they had, you know, so there's, and, and often what happens when we get to this kind of negative self place, we, it's like a tape recorder that goes on and on in our head, where that kind of negative stuff that we're having within ourselves is just going over and over and over again, well, this person would be living in this place, and obviously they want to get out of it, and the only way they thought they could get out of it was to plan their way out of it. But because they're so desperate to get out of it, again, their planning would be kind of crazy wild. And one thing we discovered with this person was maybe the shift we needed to make was shifting the time when they're going to do the planning. Because when they're in that negative emotional place, they're never going to do rational planning that would be realistic around where they currently are and where they're trying to move towards and the change they're trying to create. So one thing we started to look at was, well, let's delay the planning down the road a little bit more. 
So the first thing we want you to become really great at is this whole idea of understanding when I'm going down my negative pathway. So that's the first thing that you've really got to understand. If, if, if this kind of stuff is something as I'm talking today again, like I was saying earlier, if this is something you know is kind of hitting a note for you, if you know you get to that level where you just kind of, your actions are leading to a place where you feel totally dissatisfied in yourself and you go to quite a negative place in yourself and then you try to plan your way out of it but you ultimately just create unsuccessful plans that make you feel like a failure. Well, let's stop that right now and let's try to inject something else. Let's first of all identify I'm in my negative place. And then what we did with this client here is we basically said, let's inject trying to get out of the negative place first. And we went back to, you know, you've heard me talk about healthy outlets. So we went back to, okay, I'm getting to my negative place. I need to find some healthy ways for me to deal with this negativity that I'm sitting in right now. So with this person, it was about bringing a couple really close friends who they knew were really supportive. It was about getting out of nature. They love to get in their garden, so just getting out of nature and doing some of their garden. Uh, for this person, it was about um, doing some writing. They love to do some writing. So there's just a couple of things that when I'm negative, when I'm feeling really down on myself, if I do these things, they help to, to relieve and help me figure myself out inside my head. And for this person, it was communication in really free ways, some practical just getting out in the garden and some internal thought around writing. Then from there, what happened, what was really interesting was once I'd gone through that process of dealing with the, the negative place I was within myself, then when they sat down to do their planning, they were in a much more place, much more rational place to make much more wiser decisions around how they planned. Because ultimately, I suppose, they weren't as desperate in that place. And I think that's the second point I want to bring up today, is that, sure, one thing we all need to become really great at is, is being realistic around our planning for change. And on top of that, as I'm kind of just thinking right now, the better perspective we can have around how we live our lives, the better we can be around the rational planning. But the second thing we need to understand is, what emotional state am I in when I'm sitting around to do my planning? And if I'm an emotional state that may come from a little bit of desperation, a little bit of negativity, maybe my first objective is to not sit down and write my plan. My first objective is to deal with healthy ways to deal with this negativity, this, this kind of desperation that I have within myself. And then once I've done with that, you know, those kind of that negative stuff, then I can have the ability to sit down and find a rational way to sit down and do my planning and to think back to, okay, well, what's realistic for where I am right now in my life? The fascinating thing for my client was that when they learned to put, inject this kind of stop the planning, delay it a little bit, and inject dealing with the emotion, the plans that they started to come back to me were, with were much more realistic. And as we moved forward, they were able to achieve these plans. And, and this is where it was really powerful because... Because they were able to achieve realistic plans that were based on planning from a rational place, they started to feel successful as a person. Whereas in the past, when they were irrational and in a negative mind space when they planned, they planned poorly, they failed, which kept them in their negative place. So it was kind of this revolving circle. Whereas now what's happening is this person's understanding that, oh, if I plan from this place within myself and, I, and I'm realistic around my planning, I start to be successful, then I feel good, and 
so on and so on. So my self-image, my self-perception is no longer a failure. It's actually that I can be successful. And that's where it gets really cool. Because this person now starts to look at the world with belief. Belief that I can be successful in moving forward because I now have experience of being successful. So that's my second point today. When you sit down to create change in your life, maybe the change planning should take a couple of steps back and to really think about where am I emotionally right now and what are healthy ways for me to deal with my emotional place so I can get to a rational way to deal with what I'm dealing with. If you can get on top of these two things that I've talked about today, if you can if you can understand that comparison is holding you back from allowing yourself to own your good, if you had that year butt in your head and you could overcome it and get rid of the year butt and allow yourself to enjoy, absorb and, and own the greatness in you. And then if you know that when you get to your negative mind space that actually you try to dig a hole out of it but really you're digging a bigger hole but instead of doing that, you allow yourself to, to deal with the emotion that allows you to create better plans which build bridges, not holes. Ultimately, I feel you're going to become closer to that best version of yourself. Right, a team that's pretty much this fortnight's episode. Uh, hopefully there's some good stuff in there for you. It's... Uh, yeah, I have to say next time, in the next episode that I do in two weeks from now, I've got an interview with the guy who wrote Flow. Now, I can't remember exactly how to say his name. Um, Michaeli, Mihaly, oh, it's, it's a real big name. I, I learned it to actually do the interview with him. Uh, and I've got to be really honest, the guy wrote the book Flow, and the guy is a, a very, very influential psychological thinker. Uh, Flow is a book that gets quoted in, in many other books you'll ever read. His work has been really, really influential. And uh, I got I, I managed to get an interview with him, and I was over the moon to get an interview with him. And uh, it was really interesting. I, I've got to be honest, it's a different kind of interview. Uh, he's an older man now. He's in his 80s. And it was a little bit like sitting down talking to your granddad in, in that, you know, as an interviewer, it was one of those interviews where I just said, hello, tell me your life, and away you go. And... Uh, like in some ways like if we look at Brian's interview last show it was very kind of succinct and you know there was some key messages and, and he knew what he was really trying to get across whereas uh, with the interview I'm going to give to you guys in a couple of weeks from now it's totally like we start we, we start off on the war like he was alive in the war and he's telling these stories about soldiers on trains and you know he got he got injured by soldiers oh, and, and, it's, and then he kind of goes on to his life work and it was I, I, I love this interview that I do with him. I, 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 it's, it's almost a bit of a career highlight. Now, in some ways, I, I don't know if it's the greatest interview in some ways, but in some ways, I think it's the greatest interview I've done. Um, and I really look forward to bringing that to you guys in a couple of weeks from now. I, I highly recommend you get a hold of his book, Flow. It's, um, it's one of those books that you kind of, as you're reading, it really reinforces some things around how to live your life. So I'm going to have that interview on next in the episode in two weeks from now. So I'm really looking forward to get that to you again. It's going to be a different interview, um, but I, I really enjoyed it. Whenever you start a war, an interview talking about the war, like it's, it's I remember there's a podcast I um, by a guy called Dan Carlin, which I highly recommend everyone listens to, which is called Hardcore History of Dan and Carlin. Dan Carlin, I've talked about him on the show before, and he talks about how that generation, the war generation, 
the, the generation that were born in like the 30s and 40s, they're just harder than us. They're a harder generation than us. And why is that? Well, they, they were brought up in the Depression. They were brought up in the war. You know, it's funny, Joe's grandparents have both recently passed away in the last five, six years of her life. And, you know, they lived in the same house forever. They never really renovated it. Now, when they passed away, it turned out that they could have easily afforded to be able to renovate and, you know, spend money on themselves. But they were brought up in a time where you were taught to be thrifty, you were taught to save, you were taught to you know, go without and all these kind of character to work hard. And, you know, there's something about old school values that have been lost a little bit on today's world and you know I'm not into that whole that whole life was better in the past thing I actually don't think it was I think in many ways we live a much better life and and we're much more advanced than the people of that time but when it comes down to hard work and kind of overcoming adversity you know the people who were brought up at that time there's just something that's really great about them and it's one of the downfalls of old people is that for some reason we lose respect for them for some reason I'm not quite sure why you know maybe it's because we hear the same stories a lot when we get around our grandparents and stuff but there's almost like there's a certain age where we become the parent of them they become the child again and, and we forget what these old people can offer to us because they've lived life They've, they've had the experiences, you know, and to sit down with an old person, like I remember years ago, one of my ex-girlfriends, um, she had a grandmother who was in a home, and we'd go and visit her, well, I only went a couple of times, but you, you know, I went the first time, and you could tell it was very much just ticking the boxes kind of experiences, they'd go in there, and the family would go and just talk about what's been happening in the home and over the last couple of weeks, and it was almost just kind of what would I say, it was almost just kind of, just keeping up appearances, and I remember one day I just sat down, and I just started asking some really kind of real, real life questions, like I asked her about sex, <laughs> like how wishing when she had sex, and I asked her about, you know, the hardships that they went through, and some of the good things in her life, and this person just came out of nowhere, and, and was sharing this amazing insight into life, and I, and I was like, asking them all, like, what's it, what would be your lessons, what would you say are the most important things to life, and, you know, sometimes with elderly people, we forget that they can offer us so much, and it's, it's always that thing, isn't it, we always want the generation below us to respect us, and you'll see that with adults, you know, who are trying to look cool with teenagers, and, and we want those below us to, to, respect us and, and to think we're cool and but really maybe what we should be looking for is those above us to, to really how can they guide us because as I listen to this interview that I do in a couple of weeks which I'm going to release to you guys in a couple of weeks again in some ways I think it's my worst interview in some ways I think it's my greatest interview but as I was just sitting here listening to this man who has had chased a life of wisdom to me I gained so much from that so Hopefully you guys will be able to listen to that in a couple of weeks and really appreciate what he gave in the interview. Anyway, I'm waffling and uh, I probably did a shout. I've got to be really honest. I had a shout. You know what I did, what I did which I was quite proud of? In Singapore Airport, they had a gym and I had four hours to kill in the airport and I thought, you know what? I'm going to do a workout. 
And I have to say, I was the best thing I've ever done traveling. I went and did about an hour 20, did some weights, and we jumped on a stationary bike, and did a good kind of kick-ass kind of hits training session on it. And it just really lifted up that time. You know what it's like when you're kind of sitting in the airport for hours, you walk around aimlessly at a shop for a few hours, and then you jump on the internet, just kill hours on the internet, and then you probably eat too much food. Well, it was really cool to do a workout. And I know most of us aren't going to get that option because most airports don't have gyms. But then I was able to have a shower, and yeah, so I haven't had a shower since then, so... Really devilish, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up the show, guys. If you want to be a patron of the show, go to bevanjamesisles.com. Um, go to the there's a link there to my patronhood page. For those who are patrons, I love you. You bloody rock, and you help me do what I do. And I really, really try to do great work for you guys to make sure that that everything I do in this world is helping people. So you know, if you want to support that, you go to my Patreon page, and that'd be really cool as well. If you've got any questions, I'm not sure if I've got any this month or this week, but I haven't got around to doing them, so we'll do that next time. Uh, so you can flick them through to me at bevanjames at gmail.com. If you want to spread the word about the show, I really appreciate you guys doing that. Just put it on your Facebook, send an email to a friend, anything like that. It just all helps. Anyway, I'm going to go have a shower. You guys have a great day, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm.